Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP. Meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Cabo meal valid when product served. Tonight, it's the biggest night of the year for podcast fans. Our 2021 iHeartRadio Podcast Awards. These are really some of the best and brightest and smartest and most compelling minds in the country. Celebrate the podcasts we've leaned on for laughs, headlines, stories to get our adrenaline pumping, and voices to comfort us. This is a huge honor. We did it! Thank you to my listeners, because without them, this wouldn't happen. Don't miss our 2021 iHeartRadio Podcast Awards. Watch on iHeartRadio's YouTube and Facebook and listen on our iHeartRadio app tonight at 9 p.m. Hello and welcome to episode number 29 of the LSR podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by the brightest minds in all of the gaming industry. The gang is all here. Eric Ramsey, Dustin Galker and Adam Candy. That is two E's, no Y. Welcome to all the new listeners out there, and if you'd like to find us on the traditional podcasting platforms, we are on all of them, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of those, so please go in, subscribe, rate, and review, and of course, if you want to find us on the Twitter machine, at LSP Report, and we'll give our individual handles. At the end of this thing, guys, it has been a hot minute, we had the Megapod from the floor of G2E, but we've had some a lot of news build up over the last couple of weeks, and I'm glad we're able to get back on the, in the swing of things here. Eric, how uh, how has the last two weeks been for you with all of the news that has been going on across this great industry of ours? It has been a busy and productive couple of weeks. I was also, I'm not even sure you're aware, but I was in New York with our colleague Matt Waters for a couple of days for a sports betting conference out there. So yeah, there has been no shortage of stuff to do and cover in the last couple of weeks. Dustin, you have, you have had a few weeks now of legal sports betting in your home state. You've been able to do this on your phone. How has that experience been? Are you living in a mansion at this juncture? Uh, I am, I'm rich. I, I don't know why I'm still doing this podcast. Honestly, uh, I should just say out, but, uh, it's been, it's been fun to just have live betting and a legal option. I will say I am, I am not up currently, but I do crush, I do crush the Ukrainian basketball league, which I don't think is a thing, but yeah, well, we'll go ahead and, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and say that it is a thing and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Adam, I actually see you from time to time, but the people who have not heard your wonderful voice in a couple of weeks, let's just get a quick update on how everything has been for you since G2E. Well, I mean, I've had a number of fantastic dinners. Um, it's been a great time for me personally. Uh, I gather that's probably not what you want to hear about, but it has been a very, very active time in the sports betting landscape in the United States, and frankly, not one that we really expected uh, during this time frame. This is sort of a down period as we get ready for legislatures, but uh, we have belied that in the past couple of weeks. Well, let's kick things off with you here. Since we saw people last here on the podcast, we had a vote over in Colorado. You guys that have been listening for a while certainly remember us kind of setting this thing up and we were kind of handicapping how we thought this might play out because of the strange language and the way that things go over there in Colorado. But Adam, looks like we squeaked out a win here. It was pretty impressive on the night of the election. Uh, sports betting Twitter turned into election Twitter. And man, did I learn about how some people don't know a whole lot about elections that <laughs> night. Uh, very interesting as Colorado narrowly squeaks through uh, the language on the ballot, as we mentioned, because of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights in Colorado, made it look like that you were actually being taxed to create sports betting. But 
voters were able to get past that largely an urban rural divide urban areas voting for sports betting rural areas voting against it so it will become legal in colorado that is retail and mobile uh you'll have one skin per operator so you should see all of the major brands getting into the colorado market in 2020 we're hearing rumblings that applications could be coming available within the next week or two and we're looking at a mid 2020 launch at this point for colorado dustin to update everybody listening here how badly are you getting buried in your over under that you gave for people at the beginning of at the end of 2018 beginning of 2019 Oh, I'm, I'm sure I can revise that back because nobody <laughs> listened to the podcast back then. So I don't, it was, uh, I don't know. It was, I, I forget that. What, what was the number that I put? Like, oh, six uh, and a half. Six right? and a half. Yeah. Yeah. But, then, but then you, then you shaded it to seven and a half. Somewhere <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, it's, uh, it's not looking good at all. If you bet the over, uh, I think, I think you won at this point. Yes. Yeah. You can pay out, uh, Dustin, if you want to go find him over in Oregon, uh, you can go and track down your, your winnings. But, uh, yeah, it was, it's pretty interesting here. We were following that. I, was following it on on twitter as well and there were times where it looked incredibly promising and then there were other places that were reporting and it looked like it was not going to pass it looked like all kinds of interesting ways that this thing could twist and turn and at the end here in colorado we did get like a slim i mean dustin the number was barely enough to where they didn't have to do a recount right yeah, I think the final count ended up it was the margin ended up being like a little less than two percent, I think, between it. But at times it was definitely within a recount. Um, yeah, I think like Adam said, if we were if we were taking uh, live betting on Colorado, we would have definitely made some money uh, off of uh, sports betting Twitter at that time because. Like it, it was like when you watch re- returns, you can't. It's not a linear thing. You don't know where they're coming in from all the time. And this it was. Uh, and there's at points very little, uh, little coming in. And we people are trying to prognosticate. Oh, this is what's happening now. It's it's so hard to do. It's like you, you can usually like in traditional elections, you can say, oh, this is a Democratic leading, Republican leading district. Or so we have no, we had really no idea as the results were coming in, other than we presume like the little more liberal areas might be a little bit more for sports betting. But, but anyway, yeah, we're uh, it's uh, obviously great. Another state coming down, and uh, as we, we'll get into here, there's more states that seem like they're they're coming, uh, they're taking some action here at the end of the year. And Eric, as we are hitting some new ears with this version of the podcast here, sounds like a great time for you to give a cheap plug to your handy dandy little map that can be found at Legal Sports Report for people who are wondering how things are going across this great this great country of ours. Oh, thanks for that opening. Yeah, we do have a couple good resources on the front page of Legal Sports Report. On the right side says Legislative Tracker Sports Betting. That's where we track all of the ongoing and previous legislation uh, all over the country. And there's also a handy-dandy map of where we currently have legal sports betting today. It's a great resource if you're just curious as to how things are going across the U.S., so be sure and take a look at that. Dustin, we have a we've talked about some of these big states, of course, and we're, we're going to talk about one of the very biggest ones a little bit later in this very podcast. But Ohio, certainly a very populous state, a very uh, big sports state as well. And it looks like we have some news coming out of there. Yeah, uh, our Macardell uh, spoke to the press secretary of uh, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, who who has said he believes sports betting is coming and that it's uh, he he really wants to see it happen before the next election. Now, uh, we can sit here and say anything we want, like or a governor can, and say, oh yes, I would like to do this. That that that's certainly a good thing, but doesn't mean anything as far as it actually getting done. We we hear people say they want sports betting in a lot of places and it hasn't gotten done. It has gotten done in some places, but. Um, you know the fact that the the governor is engaged there. There have been hearings. The, it's uh, there's a lot going on in Ohio. So where there's smoke, there's fire. It seems like there will be a real push to get it done. And obviously, this would be a, a pretty big market. Um, you know, lots of the you know a lot of their surrounding states are either looking at it or already have it. Pennsylvania and West Virginia, uh, for instance. So you, you, definitely definitely a place we're going to watch. It's uh, but to just the governor saying this while it's important doesn't mean that it's a done deal in Ohio. Indiana as well, another bordering state there of Ohio. So as you mentioned, it is certainly surrounded by people who have been friendly with everything there. Uh, If we're looking at this, Adam, from a, you know, if we kind of step back and take a look at Ohio, I mean, I, I think it's we talk about it with some of these other states and certainly we talked about it with with Michigan when we've talked about Michigan, but and, and Illinois as well. But, you know, Ohio home to 
some very big collegiate programs. Ohio home to some very big pro sports teams across every single sport here. Ohio, I think, would be a pretty interesting cog in the wheel here. Ohio is interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, this is a state that has evolved in the legislature and its thinking over the last 12 months or so. There were some ugly elements for the industry in some of the bills that we saw in the 2019 session early on, but they have taken to listening and learning. And we see that the hearings that went on this fall in Ohio seem to suggest a, uh, a more reasonable framework for bringing sports betting to the Buckeye state. I would say you're probably looking at a slightly better than 50-50 shot uh, in the coming year. The biggest issue in, in uh, Ohio has absolutely nothing to do with the actual mechanics of sports betting. There is an internal fight going on over who's going to oversee sports betting. So these are the types of fights that you have to factor in when you're doing your Dustin Gawker power index of how many states might be able to legalize in a given year. Eric, you are our New York resident here, and with New York, we always like to keep everybody, with, with New York being such an important state and New York being so incredi pop, incredibly populous and it being such a contributor to what's going on in New Jersey as well, we certainly are tracking every single thing that goes on in the state of New York, and you've got some information about that study of theirs. I was waiting for disappointing to be one of the adjectives you threw out there, but didn't make your didn't make your list. Yeah, New York is one of the the green ones on our map. I talked about it does have legal sports betting, but no online and mobile. That has been the the real hang up for the last couple years in the legislature. We are finally we've talked about this a couple times. We are finally going to study online sports betting at least. Uh, Spectrum Gaming has been chosen to conduct this study that begins December 1st. You may know Spectrum from their greatest hits in D.C. and Louisiana earlier this year where they've also worked on uh, sports betting studies. You know, that one in D.C., we we picked a few bones with it. Didn't go so well, but New York's going to try it out with Spectrum. The draft is due April 1st, which is the same day the budget is due, so that's kind of curious timing. Uh, final report not due till June 1st, which is right around adjournment time. So, it, you know... The lawmakers are optimistic as they've ever been. We have this study moving, but the timing just may not line up for, for any progress in 2020. We will see, as always, how it shakes out in New York. But as always, it's a coin flip or less right now. Dustin, whenever Eric says that we do have legal sports betting there, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are going, oh, what do you mean? This isn't one of the states that I hear about all the time. And reason being for that and not to kind of go back to 101 here, but as we as we kind of expand the reach of, of this podcast and hearing and reaching new people with this, I think we want to give a little bit of background on things here. And so with New York, the reason you might not hear about it and the reason we don't uh, you know, give you these ma massive numbers that you are seeing that are coming out of some of these other states is the fact that the only places you can bet tend to be in the upper rural areas and not anywhere near the city center. Yeah, the, the the state legalized sports betting you know, previously, even before the federal ban uh, came down, at the four commercial casinos. So when the when Pasco went away, we had this the ability for these these four uh, commercial casinos upstate to go ahead and launch sports betting. But yes, again, not online wide uh, around the state. You can only bet on the property. This also opened up uh, sports betting at tribal casinos, which are also upstate. None of these are very close to New York City or to population centers. Uh, we will have one kind of close to Buffalo, it seems. But yeah, we're you know we're we we get excited about online betting and having that widely uh, available because that's where it is. We're already seeing Pennsylvania and, uh, as its revenue numbers, and we'll talk about that more up to like eighty percent mobile, and that's that's where the money and the excitement comes from is having mobile betting and New York still not there may not get there next year although there's a, a there's a chance so yeah we when you're legalizing uh, sports betting and you only do it at brick and mortar locations you're definitely throttling your ability to make revenue for you know for casinos for operators and for the state in, in the form of taxes yeah we're stuck in this stupid loop in New York it's really the governor who's kind of at the who's providing the roadblock and he just doesn't see the revenue potential that his, his reason to not expand into mobile betting is there's not enough revenue potential. Well, there's not enough revenue potential without mobile betting. So we're kind of going around in circles there. That's the goal of this study is to try to sort of prove to the governor that there is an appetite and and revenue to be made from mobile betting. 
And Adam, really all we're doing here with all of these, with, with, with most of these states, especially these ones that continue to have it brought up by lawmakers and continue to put it in front of people here. I mean, we're really just kicking the can down the road, right? I mean, like this is eventually going to happen. It's just basically who's going to be the person who, who finally allows it to, to go through. I think in New York, you're safe to say it's eventually going to happen just because there is enough political will among those in the legislature to get this done. And if the governor truly really is the only roadblock, then the governor's not going to be there forever. Uh, and so I just wouldn't get excited, though, about the potential for New York. When people ask me and they ask me often about New York, I tell them, look on a three or four year time horizon for mobile sports betting. I just don't see where it gets done any sooner than that. You, you have constitutional issues. You have tribal issues. You have issues about mobile. Uh, while other states continue to thrive, like New Jersey and Pennsylvania and soon to be Rhode Island in that area as well, states with mobile, uh, New York is just not going to join that party anytime soon. But yes, likely eventually. Dustin, we talk about these gigantic states. One of the very big ones out there is Florida. And we have seen Things try to get passed there in the gaming world on several occasions to no fruit uh, without uh, getting done. That being said, we do at least have an effort here in Florida. Yeah, we saw a bunch of bills all related, related sports betting, trying to legalize it through the lottery for a variety of reasons. I will I will handicap this at uh, approaching zero percent chance of passing. Uh, we can get we get into a little bit of that. But uh, this is not, this is this is a an effort. It, it exists and it, it shows that there's people who are interested in legalizing sports betting there. But there's a lot of complications here. Uh, the Seminole tribe, for once, it would for one would be cut out of this. They have exclusivity over casino gaming in the state, run casinos, have a huge lobbying presence. So getting something done without them would be complicated. There's all, there's uh, the, the legal complication of they've stopped payments to the state over some over disagreement with the state over their compact and how the state's enforcing certain gaming at other uh, at other facilities around the state. So. There's a lot going on. There's also Amendment 3 passed last uh, last November where uh, it said Florida voters would have to authorize any new forms of casino gambling in the state, whether you consider sports betting a form of quote-unquote casino gambling, eye of the beholder. But if, if you try to legalize it with that, without uh, without going through uh, a referendum, you'd probably end ending up in court. So there, uh, this is exciting, obviously. They we're like, oh, Florida, online sports betting bill, yay. But uh, there's a lot there's a lot going on behind the scenes here. And, you know, just to say, oh, we have this bill is it's not doesn't mean that we're going to see a, a serious effort out of Florida this year. Eric, I think it's important to uh, I think it's important to kind of go ahead and let people know if they're not familiar with the way Florida works. They might have heard of, oh, yeah, you know, there's there's the Hard Rock Casino down there. I've seen pictures of it. It's giant. It's huge or something. But whenever you say that, you're not really giving the full story there. It is actually the Seminole Hard Rock Casino and it is the Seminole Hard Rock Tampa and and in and, and, and all these other places. So it's not just, you know, you, the Hard Rock as if, you, you know, you were out here in, in Vegas or something like that. I mean, these are tribal casinos. These are tribal tribal casinos, but they are impressive. There is a ton of money in the Florida gambling market in that industry. The you know the Seminoles just fig- finished a plus two billion dollar expansion on their property in Hollywood. They have another one in Tampa and a couple other ones scattered throughout the state. They do, as it stands today, own gambling in Florida. <clears throat> excuse me, but as Dustin alluded to, some some friction with the state here. And I you know. I wouldn't be surprised if the state has had enough and is just ready to to cut the Seminole out of the equation. They've already removed their revenue from the budget next year. So I don't know. I'm uh, going to keep a close eye on this one. There's uh, there's a lot to figure out, like Dustin said. Yeah. As you mentioned, though, that it is incredibly impressive. I mean, some of the biggest casinos I've ever walked into before. Uh, they're are the, are amazing. World yeah. class. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, down there. So if you ever are uh, in the area and want to check them out, it, 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 they're not like your typical rinky dink casinos that you think of in some of these like rural places or something like these. These are gigantic, massive, huge, huge, huge properties that are absolutely state of the art. So I think you would probably uh, be pretty impressed whenever you walk through one of these things all right adam let's talk about this is what a lot of people tune in for here are the numbers and when we get numbers we like to break them down and we like to let everybody know how things got going in pennsylvania new jersey for example but we do even have some of the smaller states we'll touch on but let's start with the big guys and let's start with with pennsylvania and new jersey and we are seeing kind of what we thought play out in pennsylvania 
Now that Pennsylvania is becoming a mobile first market, you're seeing the potential for one of the largest states in the country. Uh, Pennsylvania had a pretty impressive October when you consider they're far from maturity when it comes to mobile. $241 million in handle, $19 million in revenue. Uh, FanDuel comes in with just about half the money in the state, 82% of wagers placed via mobile in Pennsylvania last month. Now, keep in mind that we are still waiting for DraftKings Sportsbook to get up to speed in Pennsylvania, and they are a huge part of the equation in New Jersey, where we had a great month as well, $487.9 million in New Jersey, 85.5% of handle coming via mobile. Uh, FanDuel continues to be out ahead of the pack there as well. I think the most important thing to keep in mind is that we looked at New Jersey and we keep looking at New Jersey and thinking, what's going to hurt New Jersey, right? We keep saying, well, if New York comes in with mobile, that's going to hurt New Jersey, probably. But for a while, we said, when Pennsylvania really ramps up, that's really going to hurt New Jersey. It's going to pull some of these people who are coming over the border and playing back into their own state. Uh, Take a look at the October results. We continue to prove that the pool is not as small as some people make it out to be of available betters. You're drawing more people into the market. Nevada continues to perform well, and we've seen that the growth of Pennsylvania does not cannibalize New Jersey, at least here in the early going. Yeah, this was never going to be like we sometimes we put it as terms of just uh, converting the black market. That was never going to be what sports betting was. It was always this. There's this latent pool of people who probably want to bet on on stuff don't really either aren't aware of offshore books or don't want to deal with them. And you present them with a legal option that is, you know, looks pretty good. Uh, you know, heck, I'm, I'm one of these that I was not betting at offshore anywhere. Uh, I haven't bet anywhere since basically the online poker days. Uh, but that's, that's what this is, is you, you have a, whole, a, a lot of people who, you know, confronted with a legal option online, they're going to take a chance uh, on betting with it. Yeah. And I think this is something that we can, that, that maybe some of the hashtag gambling Twitter doesn't really process a lot of the time because there's, you know, they're always complaining about these books competing with the offshore books. And by all means, if you've listened to this podcast over the last couple of years, we have certainly talked at ad nauseum about that. And we've talked about how these guys should at least attempt to make a product that is comparable and, and make, uh, you know, deals and offers and whatever comparable to what people can get offshore. But I think what you're driving home here, Dustin, is, you know, you're looking at let's take Pennsylvania, for example, you know, Sugar House and FanDuel and then Foxbet launched and then DraftKings launched and Unibet launched over there. All of these guys are coming into the market, and I would venture to say, and I'm sure at some point there will be probably by our very smart friend Chris Grove or something down the line that will be able to tell us how many of these people are first-time bettors, but it would not shock me if it was like somewhere in the like 80 to 90% range of people that are that are new bettors. And when I say new bettors, like regular bettors, they might have done it before and when they came to Vegas or something or, or whatever. But when I'm saying like doing it on the regular, it wouldn't surprise me if it was eight to nine out of 10. Yeah, I don't think it's, uh, I'm not sure I'd put it quite that high, but it's a lot. It's This is not just, yeah, it's definitely not just offshore people trying out legal books. There's some of that for sure. They, you know, it's easier to move money. It's, uh, you know, you, 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 there's a lot of good things. There's a lot of good things uh, if you're uh, betting on offshore that you probably want to stick with that, you know, availability of credit and a lot of other things. But I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that this is just, this is just expanding the market as well. This is people who are, you know, playing DFS or, or just, or just you know, just sports fans are like, oh, there's there's a legal sports book in my state, uh, benefits my state. It's, uh, I, I can trust this because it's coming out of the United States. It's not a Costa Rica or Antigua or something like that. I think that's a compelling compelling thing for people who are looking for looking to bet for sure. And Eric, I mean, you look at these numbers out of Pennsylvania specifically, and it is a massive lead for FanDuel Sportsbook. And a lot of people are kind of saying, oh, well, look at it. Look at, look at this. I mean, when you look at how far down Sugar House is, I mean, it's, it's so far down there compared to where FanDuel's at. 
uh, game over. But I think what kind of Adam was alluding to as well is I don't think we should look at that at all like this. I mean, we are still talking about a massive state with a huge population here. And FanDuel kind of got out to as far as these guys that were dominating over in New Jersey kind of got out to a head start here. I don't think we can necessarily just hand the crown to FanDuel while we're still, you know, only a few months into this over in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and even if it turns out where they are the long-term winner of the Pennsylvania market, there's only room for one leader, but there's there's plenty of room for lots of second and third and fourth place brands there. Even, you know, as a, a relatively small property doing brisk online business with with five or ten or fifteen million dollars in monthly revenue, those are those are big numbers still. And they're, you know, Pennsylvania, a huge casino market, big population, has a competitive marketplace with a lot of brands, just ticks all the boxes for a uh, competitive long-term market and i disagree Fandle's vandal will not be stopped yet. <laughs> <laughs> unstoppable juggernaut uh, I, I, now i just like to say it to rile people up but i mean they're they obviously have a good a good market lead they have a compelling story they're telling uh everywhere around the u.s right now but it, it, it eric's right and we like uh, there's there's room for somebody to cut into that in the long term this is the, the, the fandal has a lead right now does not mean that it has the lead forever but it has a good head start on everyone and has a good product right now and i, I look at pennsylvania more so even in new jersey it's pennsylvania is a little bit more limited market there's not that many more brands we're going to see in there and it is a little harder to look at the the people who are in there and say man who's gonna who's gonna come in and and dethrone fanduel uh, in the short term, certainly in long term, maybe a little little better chance. But uh, I, I still like FanDuel as, you know, as the leader uh, in, the, in the short term. We'll have DraftKings numbers, uh, seeing them more uh, as they get uh, situated in Pennsylvania as well. It'll be interesting to see what they do there. In New Jersey, obviously, FanDuel's had the has had the advantage of being close to New York and not as big of an advantage there for FanDuel. They're just uh, partnered with Valley Forge, which is outside of Philadelphia, but not with one of the Philadelphia casinos. So uh, a lot going on, but. Um, yes, Fanduel, unstoppable juggernaut. Um, can't stop them. <laughs> I think uh, one of the things before we move on to these uh, the other states here with the numbers, I think m- maybe as I rattled off here, people might not have. Uh, be as familiar because we've talked about Sugar House a lot, obviously. And if you have been in that area, you're familiar with that brand. And of course, we talked a ton about DraftKings and FanDuel. You've seen the commercials on television, you know about them. And then we even talked about the huge deal with Foxbet and taking over with all that. But I did mention Unibet, and I'm I just want to get you give you the floor here to just give a brief explanation of Unibet because that might be a brand that people that haven't been paying uh, close attention might be that familiar with. So yeah, we have Unibet, the uh, newest entry into Pennsylvania uh, with a, a sports book and an online casino. Uh, this is not a well-known brand in the United States uh, currently. It is a, uh, a powerhouse in Europe uh, operating. It's a, uh, a company named Kindred owns it, employs a lot of brands in Europe. Uh, Unibet is kind of the flagship of that. Um, so good, uh, you know, good platform, good trading. Um, I think pretty good user experience. Um, I think the, the big thing they have to overcome though is, is the branding. They, you know, you talk to people, if you ask people who, what Unibet is outside of our little sports betting bubble, and I don't think a whole lot of people will recognize Unibet now if they do a good marketing push, uh, people seem to like the product, et cetera, et cetera. I think they, they have a chance of, of doing something, but, um, yeah, they're, they're one of uh, a small number of players in, in the Pennsylvania online gambling landscape so it'll be interesting to see what they do eric we have numbers out of some of these other states as well that have legalized sports betting might not be as eye-popping as we are getting from these other states here but worth mentioning as well yeah i know yes we do have another resource on our website matt thank you we uh yeah we also have a revenue tracker on on legal sports report if you want to look at these numbers yourselves i have the the whole spreadsheet up in front of me, I'll tell you that we had uh, handle records in a bunch of other states besides just New Jersey and Pennsylvania this month, Indiana, Iowa, two of the younger markets, uh, and also West Virginia, a big milestone there. There, uh, For the first time last month, there was a week where mobile handle exceeded retail handle. It's been a long time trying to get that online industry back up and running in West Virginia. It looks like it's starting to fall into its groove there a little bit. Also, kind of looks like Delaware might have might have had its time now that Pennsylvania and New Jersey are, are settling in as well. It uh, only about $9 million in handle last month, which is barely half of what it was this time last year. So on the decline in Delaware, again, no mobile betting there is a big hangup. 
Um, but yeah, across the board, the numbers look pretty good. We're still waiting for Nevada, and we're already at about a billion dollars in combined handle from the rest of the states. So when we take a look at these numbers for some of these other other states here and the growth with these states, which of which of these do you think has the the most potential for growth between, let's say, now and this time next year? Been big on Indiana for a while, and it's already seems to be growing fast. Their first month was September, did about 35 million in handle. October that boosted to 91 million, and there's still only a few online operators. We should have a couple more enter the fray before the end of 2019. So I'm big on Indiana for next year, and Iowa looks pretty good too. Some some middling growth from September to October, but you know you're looking at 50 million in handle already from Iowa. Doesn't seem too bad in the early days there. And again, there is a nice little tracker over at LegalSportsReport.com. So just go to the sports betting tab up there and it says U.S. Sports Betting Revenue. So click on that if you want to see these numbers for your own eyeballs there. And Dustin, let's talk a little bit about esports betting. I'll, I'll also throw in, I calculated my percentage of, of the handle in Oregon. <laughs> uh, it is 0.04% of, of Oregon handle. There you go. Uh, was, was, was me. You can, you can reverse engineer that if you want to figure out how much I bet. Uh, but esports, we, uh, yeah, we saw uh, the DGE, the regulators in New Jersey, uh, say it was okay to take uh, esports bets uh, earlier this month. Uh, several bookmakers in the state online. Uh, booked the League of Legends uh, World Final. Uh, that was the only thing we've seen so far, I believe, in the esports realm. But it is it is interesting that uh, it started to expand. You could already do it in Nevada. There's been a limited amount of wagering in Nevada in the past, although bookmakers there have been very tentative to book much much else other than that. Uh, but there's going to be more and more of this because of the interest in, in esports. Uh, you can't uh, throw a rock out the window without hitting a story about how many people watch esports. So, you know, uh, casinos have been very interested in this. They, they would love to attract the attention uh, of people who, wa- who watch and interact with esports. So uh, betting is one way they'll try to do that. It's going to be a little bit of a tough haul getting people in the door for sports books for esports because it's such a different product. We saw this in the, in the DFS world where they tried to bring in, uh, uh, you know, DraftKings Fandle tried to bring in esports into their overarching um, product, and it just didn't really fly because it's a different person. You know, you're not somebody who bets on esports may or may not really want to bet on other sports that are available at Sportsbook. It's such a, it's such a niche offering, and you probably want to bet on it while the match is going on. Uh, there's only so much interest in, in doing it pre-match, I think. So, And bookmakers in the U.S. Uh, currently are not really well prepared at all to handle that. So anyway, the, the story is New Jersey has allowed it. There's uh, states that have actually just banned esports betting before they when they actually passed laws. So there's a lot more to go uh, here, but uh, the initial expansion is, is at least interesting, and we'll, we'll see, be seeing more of it in the near future. Uh, Dustin, I, I, I read all these articles, and I hear all these people all the time saying, oh, man, and this is just such a massive growth potential. And this is like, this is where real growth can be in sports betting. Am I just too old to get it? Do I just not understand? I, I just, with the so many ways, and we talk, we've talked about low-level tennis on this podcast several different times about how those guys just don't make very much money. And so there at least does, I mean, we... We are anti-games being fixed in the major sports at this juncture because we all believe, I mean, these guys just make too much money. The people who can actually have an effect on a game are making multiple million dollars a year. There's just no way that it's going to be a thing. But, you know, we've seen it in low-level tennis, sometimes low-level soccer, where these guys aren't making a ton of money. And doesn't esports kind of offer that same possibility? Because, I mean, yeah, there are these giant multi-million dollar tournaments, but typically the majority of them are pretty small. Yeah, it's it is not unlike like low level tennis and things like that. When you get past the championships events, there's a ton of money in those, and there's a ton of money in sponsorship. But we've already seen a lot of you know esports match fixing and, and other issues in the sport. So that's why people are tentative about it for sure. Um, again, I think I think the product is the is the problem. Just putting an esports betting offer inside all these other sports books. I don't know if that's the way to go. You, you know, there's there's a company out there I've been following for years called Unicorn, which which specializes in esports betting, and uh, really have a cool offer where you, where you know not in the U.S. but you know they're they're working on it internationally. That's where it has to go there because there is potential there. There's there is a ton of viewership. There are tons of people who would like to bet on bet on esports. I'm sure legally in the United States, but uh, there's a lot of space between that and and actually realizing that revenue potential. 
All right, Adam, we have talked about some of these major partnerships that have gone on in the sports betting world. And we were we were wondering, you know, where was the next shoe going to drop here? Where could there still be potential for some of these deals to be made? And one did kind of come across our plate here about a week ago when MGM and Yahoo made an announcement. This was an interesting deal, and I think I'm kind of soft-selling that a little bit because we haven't really seen how this plays out in the long term. But the deal between Yahoo Sports, uh, which isn't a big name in the way that it was 10 years ago, but still with its fantasy products has a pretty decent little piece of the market. Um, Yahoo Sports tried to enter DFS fairly unsuccessfully and now is jumping into sports betting, but not really because they have this partnership with BetMGM where essentially they're just going to be pushing traffic directly to the BetMGM sportsbook. So MGM will get the branding via Yahoo, and Yahoo will essentially act as a middleman and send traffic onto the BetMGM sportsbook. So Yahoo Sports has chosen to kind of go somewhere in between where ESPN and Fox have gone. Fox has gone all in and has its own platform and is making a huge push with its deal with stars. Whereas ESPN has put the mouse ears on and said, we will never be a traditional sports book. And is just doing content. Yahoo's kind of landing somewhere in the middle where they're doing some content. They are essentially acknowledging sports book traffic, but not really converting it themselves. So I think one of the things that you mentioned that is, you know, maybe for some of our younger listeners here is, yes, Yahoo used to be a gigantic brand and it used to be the place where, you know, it was our default search engine. It was places we would go for news. It would be all of that where it has kind of fallen off there for sure. I think the one spot where it kind of at least has held on a little bit is in the sports world and in especially like you mentioned in the fantasy world. So while not as eye-popping as, say, a deal with Fox, because Fox obviously has its own television channels and has has sports deals with uh, you know, the NFL and, and Major League Baseball and all the things like that, I mean, at least with Yahoo, the one place they do still have some clout is in the sports industry with some pretty talented writers that they still have on staff there. And then definitely in the fantasy world where if you're not playing at ESPN, likely your, your longtime league is housed over at Yahoo. Matt, that's accurate. Uh, I think that Yahoo still invests in the fantasy products. I think they still try to keep their credibility via that. Um, Their sports product overall isn't quite the same as it's been. You've seen uh, guys like Adrian Wojnarowski leave for ESPN, Jeff Passan leave for ESPN, two of their major heavy hitters in terms of news coverage. So where they've scaled back in news coverage uh, with sports, they really haven't done the same in terms of fantasy, they have invested in that engine. And so, of course, they come with an enormous database that they can market to and be able to convert quickly for MGM if all goes well. So that part of it makes sense. And I do see I see this much in terms of the strategy. They clearly don't want to go all in. They don't want to spend the money to go all in. And if you're not going to, then this is probably a reasonable middle ground. Eric, this is, you know, MGM, the ma- a major, major brand in Las Vegas. Of course, big casinos in Mississippi, big casinos over in the East Coast as well, but has yet to really make a giant impact in the sports betting market at, uh, from an online side. Of course, it's still one of the very biggest here in Nevada, takes huge bets at their casinos up and down the strip. But as far as, you know, kind of breaking through from a mobile standpoint, they are really kind of lagging behind here. So maybe this was a deal that they almost needed to make. Yeah, I can definitely see the the benefits, the, the potential benefits from from MGM standpoint to have sort of a direct pipeline from from a large media company into their sports book is a huge asset. They also have that smaller deal with Buffalo Wild Wings, which should help them, you know, get their free to play game out there across the country in states that don't yet have betting. So starting to sort of emerge into the model of sports betting but we're it's it's been a long time coming for mgm and they, and they got rid of those commas right finally oh, I, I thank god that was oh, the commas was on the cool. odds on the spreads that that, that tilted me that, that it, about, tilted me to it no took end. about six or eight weeks for them to switch those switch those odds over to decimals instead of commas Ugh. we do in fact have decimals now so well well thank done god. well done bet mgm app 
All right, Dustin, I'm going to uh, let you lead off with this one because you once famously said on this very podcast that before California, they, before California had legal sports betting, that San Diego would fall off into the ocean. And uh, let's go ahead and talk about California and sports betting. Uh, still may fall off in the ocean. No, never, probably not. But uh, we do have uh, the California tribes, a group of, I think, 18 of them have proposed a constitutional amendment that would allow them to conduct sports betting at their casinos and uh, racetracks around the states. Now, this is a, uh, you know, it does not have online betting. Uh, it has been widely poo-pooed uh, around uh, uh, the, the media that follows all of this stuff because it does not have that. But for me, uh, just seeing the tribes saying, yes, we want to have, have sports betting is a huge step forward in, in California. This is not something we've heard from them in a, in a, in a real way uh, before. They've always been very tepid about it. So I, I look at this as progress. Now, I hope this the amendment is not the end of the negotiation. I, ho- I hope this is just the start of moving towards something else. But, uh, you know, uh, having watched, uh, you know, Eric and I have watched online poker in California for uh, new for over over a decade. And it's it, there's just never been anything happen there. And just to see a little bit of traction for any for you know tribes saying we want to have something. This is I think this is a positive development um, when you consider the the dynamic of gambling and all the stakeholders involved in California. Adam, we, we've said on this podcast several times, hey, if you're going to do this and you're going to do it without mobile, then you're you're stupid and this is not something you should be you should be doing and yada, yada, yada. However, I think when we can't basically just blanket statement that for some of these states, whenever we and especially a state like California, for example, where. You know, one entity basically holds all the cards and that, of course, being the Tribal Gaming Association there. And when we kind of look at this, it's almost a something is better than nothing scenario, even though we are not going to likely get mobile because of the way that they kind of view everything. They want you physically inside the casino. They want you walking through there. They want you maybe stopping by the buffet. And that I just don't think that attitude is going to change anytime soon. It's important to understand that not every state can be viewed the same way. This is what we talk about when we talk about federal sports betting legislation and the lack of practicality to it, that you just can't apply a one-size-fits-all approach. When you have an economy as complicated as California that is so heavily invested in tribal gaming and so many jobs are involved in tribal gaming, you can't say, well, it's mobile or bust. You can't apply the same theory that you do in other states. And I'm not saying that that means you've reached the full revenue potential of California, but this is not just a business decision. This is something that has to go through the political landscape. And when you look at the political landscape of California, I think you have to look at, can we get something done? And, and just getting like something done is better than getting nothing done. Yeah. And just like Florida, it's, it's, it's even more complicated in Florida because there are a bunch of tribes. There are some very big ones. There's some of the, the smaller ones that are, are, are in more remote areas. And we didn't even get into the card rooms yet. They, they operate in, uh, they operate poker and some, some dealer type games that uh, the tribes there take issue with. And that's part of the dynamic too. this referendum they've suggested would cut out the card rooms, card rooms, understandably uh, want a piece of this. And, and we also have the leagues They're they're uh, I mean, we know they're kind of behind the push uh, on the legislative side. If this is going to get, you know, legislative hearings in the new year and, 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 and draft bills, the leagues uh, have tons of teams, tons of money tied up in California. They want it their way too. They're going to push for for their way. So uh, again, I, I, Adam and I are of the same mind. I'm sure Eric is too. Like we want to see California. Just need to see baby steps. You're not going to go from you're not going to go from California has nothing to California has an open model like New Jersey, where every brand in the world can come in and open a sports book. Just not going to happen. And for people to to insist that for it to happen that way, I think just ignores the political reality of California. Yeah, I don't I, I actually don't know that this is the start of of more negotiations necessarily. I I think the tribes are going to do everything they can to to control this, you know, obviously, but I think maybe more so in California. The one of the uh the the most memorable things that came from that conference in New York that I was at was Victor Rocha, the who sort of represents the Pachanga and is an expert in tribal gaming, saying that you know the tribes want sports betting, but it's not going to happen the way the the industry as a whole wants it. It's going to happen the way the tribes want it, and sort of 
spoke to DraftKings and FanDuel directly and said that, you know, he understands they they want to get their business off the ground, but it's up to the tribes how they want to proceed. So the I, I think we're setting up for a pretty big battle in, in California and maybe more than anywhere, the tribes there are more concerned about a gateway to to online gambling and losing control uh, overall than than any other state. Yeah, I, I won't say that sports betting can't happen without the tribes, but it's it would be a really heavy lift if you do it in a way that they don't want it done. They have. Um, you know, great, lo- great lobbying in in the state house. Uh, they they they've gotten, like I said, online poker has been. They they've ba- basically said it's going to either be our way or no way, and that's uh, and we've gotten no way with online poker uh, so far. So that's what we're looking at uh, with sports betting. I think you if you if you want them to be involved, uh, you need. You, I mean, if you want to have sports betting, it's going to have to happen in a way that they they're comfortable with. And finally, Eric, I believe this is something else that happened at the conference that you were at earlier this month was the PGA came out and made a statement that, you know, listen, we have we we can't decide whether we like what the PGA has got going on or whether we don't like what the PGA has got going on. But why don't you give kind of break this down for people as to what they came out and said that really raised our eyebrows here? I think we all like Shotlink. Shotlink is one of the most the most incredible pieces of sports technology that I've seen in my lifetime and has a lot of potential uses in betting. But we had Andy Levinson there, uh, who's a senior vice president of tour administration. And his quote was about data. He was on a panel about official league data. And the, the, the nuts and bolts quote is, from our point of view, the alternative to official data is pirated data. To us, it's essentially stolen data. And what he's talking about here is things like players' individual scores on a given hole and greens and regulation, saying essentially that those are proprietary league-owned bits of data. That is something that is controversial and legally questionable. There was some pushback uh, from other members of the panel on that, but I found the the panel on official versus unofficial data to be particularly intriguing in New York. You said you said it more nicely than I would have. This is absolute <laughs> absolute and utter nonsense is what what this is from the PGA Tour. The unofficial data is not stolen data. Now, is the official data from Shotlink more valuable than than, you know, what what you would get otherwise for for a live betting product? Absolutely. That that's not in question, but you can you can you can take the results of holes and of of players' performances and that is not stolen data. That is just you know stuff that's out there in the public that you can you can say oh I'm gonna base I'm gonna resolve wagers based on this information. We've had uh, a piece by uh, a, a legal mind and scholar John Holden about this. There's no IP in uh, intellectual property in this for them. Now yes, the Shotlink intellectual property, but you know just everything else we're talking about and uh, it's not this is just nonsense. It's you can't uh, for me the worst part of this is that we're we're continuing this rhetoric of. The leagues have to have it their way or no way. This is this is not uh, contributing to the the expansion of legal sports betting. This is this sets it back when we hear rhetoric like unofficial data is stolen data. That's just that's just not good for anything. It's not helping the legal market, and it just uh, you know it's, it's perpetuating something that I think is pretty clearly false. Now this is and one of the things I think is just so short sighted on their part here because. They should be embracing any way that sports betting can possibly come into golf. I mean, this is a couple of years old now, but Sports Business Daily put out that the average age of a television viewer of the PGA Tour had risen from 59 to 64 between 2006 Ooh. and 2016. So, again, a few years old at this point, but, I mean, we're, we're, it, it did not make a drastic decline or anything like that over the last couple of years. And so we're talking the average viewer aged 64 for the PGA Tour. And what in the world could possibly get a younger viewer maybe more interested in something that they were not interested in before. How about the fact that they can put a little money on it? We've talked about this time and time again. I mean, this is the way for golf to really, I mean, really, really break through here. Eric, you and I have had this conversation in person. We've talked about this ad nauseum that we are looking at a sport here that is really ripe for a renaissance. If they would just embrace all of this and let this happen. It is so perfectly suited. We've talked about this, yeah, over and over. It's so perfectly suited to betting, to to engagement. It's something – it's what I want to do when I'm watching a golf. The pace is just perfect for, for having your phone up in your other hand and getting some action down on the side. The, interestingly, 
the the conversation about capitalizing on data either through you know direct integrity fees or, or or a data fee was sort of a little more muted at this more most recent conference except for the PGA they they seem to have sort of taken the reins here in the in the public face for the push to to monetize their data and part of why they're doing this is because their role there is a, a sportsbook product coming from IMG, IMG Arena that'll roll out early next year probably at some US sportsbooks that that is a robust in in play betting product which is I'm which I I saw uh, demoed. It's awesome, and they're probably just trying to protect that to some extent because they they've they've given the green light to to do this, and they want everybody to use that. And but it's still still the the, the part of the the narrative that you can't possibly take bets on golf without this data is is just nonsense. You can, you're going to have this is going to be a better experience. It's going to be cool. It's going to help drive interest in in the sports books that have the product, but it's still that's still a different conversation from what is official unofficial data and and what's stolen data. Absolutely. And again, PGA people if you're listening, embrace this with open arms you want to get younger you don't want your i mean you don't want your average viewer's age to be death so like let's go ahead and embrace this because this is the way you do i mean the reason nba has gotten so popular the reason hockey has gotten so popular amongst younger people is because it's non-stop action well golf is never going to be non-stop action but you can make it more intriguing between shots by allowing sports betting and allowing people to get involved with action so be sure and understand that as you kind of look at this from a from a bigger level here. And it's not all about just getting a little bit of money for what you consider to be your official data. Guys, really appreciate you listening to this uh, podcast here. And of course, as always, the written form of everything that we're talking about can be found at LegalSportsReport.com. So please head over there if you want the full analysis and breakdown of everything that we have. And of course, as Eric mentioned, the handy dandy charts and maps and all of that you can find and you can figure out how your state or a state is going about this whole sports betting thing. And of course, revenue charts as well are found on LegalSportsReport.com. For Adam... For Dustin, for Eric, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45 minute break in the day between meetings. Realize this is your moment, so you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP. Meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Combo meal valid when product served. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP. Meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Combo meal, valid when product served. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.